This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, welcome back to the Survival and Basic Badass Podcast. Today, well, we're going to talk about planning your homestead. Um, I was listening to a, uh, a Glenn Beck video and, uh, the other day, and, and he was talking about inflation and, and you know how things are kind of getting a little hairy out there. And he basically said, wherever you are now, is, or wherever you are when inflation hits or things go bad, is where you're going to end up being you know, kind of to ride it out. And I think that's true. And I think you may want to like hunker down a little bit and kind of set up your property. Or if you're planning on moving and getting out from where you are, you may want to do that now. And you might want to start taking action to get things set up. Um, Basically, you know, what it's all about is when things start to get a little hairy, You're not going to be, hey, let's buy a new house right now when people are worried about barely hanging on to their job and barely hanging on to whatever. It's not a time when you can really make a good life transition or at least without substantial cost. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it'll cost you more to do it. So basically, I want to kind of lay out your, uh, how you should lay out your property and decide you know, what's going on, where, where you should put things, um, what essentials should you have in your property? You know, um, do you have any thoughts on that? Like when you pick a location right now, you may already have a property. And if you already have your property where you're going to be at, you got what you got, but maybe there are certain steps we can take to kind of make it function a little bit better than it is right now. And I think that's kind of, you know, what we should be doing. And so that's the bottom line. So location, obviously distance to your job, um, the, the, the expense of commuting, you know, uh, if there's tolls or that kind of thing, you, you take that into account. Uh, the roads in the winter, you know, how is it like that? Does that matter? You know, I don't know. I know some with like scary driveways or long private roads. If you got little kids, that kind of matters. Um, the distance to things that you do, your job, your church, you know, getting into town to get things. Does it have electricity, mail, that kind of stuff? Um, one of the things I notice is like, if I get something shipped to my house from Amazon, it's always like, oh, it'll take four or five days to get there. And then when I change the address and I'm like, oh, send this to Kevin's house. And it's like, oh, it'll be there tomorrow. And I'm like, what the fuck? 
You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. So, you know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's what, you know, things you might want to take into account and plan out. Um, other thoughts right. come to mind, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I feel like a, a water source is a is a, an important important thing. Now, now, uh, if you have if you have streams or you know uh, a small creek on your property, that's great. That's great. But you know, sometimes you might have to uh, you can dig a pond. You know, if you have a small spring or a small stream, you can dig out a pond and and you know create a water source. I know uh, when I you know if you travel across the Midwest, you'll see. Every place that there's an overpass, uh, there's a there's a little pond next to it. That's because they dig out a big hole next to where they build the overpass for the dirt, and then it fills up with rainwater, and the farmers use that for their animals. You know, it's kind of a, a win-win situation. But the truth is, if you find a low spot in your on your property and you dig a big hole, it's going to fill up with water. You know, it might just turn into a mud pit. You know, that's that's no good, but. Um, you know, you can set up a small filtration or a pump system that, that'll keep the water moving and keep it from getting slimy and gross. Um, but it all really depends on your property. It depends on what you're working with. Um, and I would say if you were, uh, if you're looking or shopping for a homestead for, or for, for a piece of property, you'd want to find at least something that, that has a, a, a small stream or a creek on it. That, that is ideal. Or, you know, if you're going to have a tractor or whatever, something you can dig out. Um, another thing when it comes to water is, where do you get your water from? Is it municipal water, which obviously comes with a water bill? Um, is it, you know, a well? Is it a deep well? Is it a shallow well? These things matter, but they're not that big a deal. Um, the well, how fast it replenishes. If you are planning on doing significant farming, um where you're going to have to water it, you do need to check into, is this well going to have enough, you know, supply for, you know, to sustain what we're doing here? That matters. Yeah, I'd say for a, for a 10, a 10 acre homestead, you want that well to consistently produce 30 gallons a minute. Right. Um, you're going to want to run it for several days and, and verify that you can get that much water. Cause if it's not, you might not, you might have to go deeper. Yeah. You might have to find another water source. Right. And that's, you know, these are things you want to look at. Does it have, you know, municipal sewer? Do you have a septic tank? Is the septic tank going to be in the way, you know, my leach field or whatever, or where I'm planning on building stuff? And none of this is usually a deal breaker, but it's all something up. Not having enough water is kind of a deal breaker if you're planning on right. farming. But the rest of it, you know, you need to, see what's there. Um, you need to figure out how much land is really available to you, how much, you know, you're looking at getting. Um, I would think maybe a, uh, an acre is probably a little small and, and probably not going to be sustainable, but it really depends. Right. You know, if that's what you can get where you are, or maybe that's what your budget allows, then I'd say that's probably what you should do. But, Right. I think ideally you should be looking at a minimum of five acres in a perfect world. But I think any happy medium between one and five, you know, can get you there. Um, think of the uh, soil and what it would be like to grow in it. Um, you know, we were looking at, at doing a farm when I bought, you know, my property here. And my wife went and checked out a bunch of soil maps and all this stuff before we purchase the property. Right. Right. And that ma it makes a difference. Again, you can make whatever you have kind of work, but even better if you buy the right thing, you know? And it, it does make a difference. Um, you know, they say the depth of the soil. You know, I, I know in New York, shit, it was like two inches of dirt at most on top of rock was my entire yard. And, you right. know, it, it just depends. Now, you know, Kevin wasn't that far away from where I was, and his soil's a lot better than what I had. Yeah, no problems at my place. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, the, but here's the thing, though. You do have to kind of work with the soil that, that you have. You know, even if you have ideal soil, uh, some things aren't going to grow in ideal soil. Some things want acidic soil. Some things want, you know... Um, 
high pH. But uh, you know, I've got I've got clay, you know, which is great for retaining water. Right. Um, plants that love water like my soil. Things that are drier, uh, that that don't want that much water, they don't grow great here. Right. Um, you don't want more sandy or loamy soil for that sort right. of stuff. And it really depends on what you're going to be successful growing. Um, you know, and it, it can be, uh, you know, you can have terrible soil and still find things to plant there. Um, but, you know, it, you want to keep your options as open as possible. So the better the soil, the better you're going to do with almost every every type of crop. You know, exactly. it's not going to, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to affect, um, negatively affect most most of the plants you grow as long as you know and also when you're planting certain crops you can amend the soil for those certain crops you know you can you can adjust the soil add compost or add you know whatever uh add manure whatever it is that you you need to add that's going to give that soil in that specific area a specific uh type of ph and a a consistency that's going to be good for that crop yeah. Um, when it comes to that sort of stuff, you know, my my dad always used to say, "Never dig a ten cent hole for a ten plant." Ten dollar plant. Ten dollar plant. Yep. Right. So, uh, so when it, when you're planting, it's it's worthwhile to spend a little time, you know, digging it out deeper than it needs to be, filling a back back filling it with, you know, the right type of soil for that plant, and just uh, you know, making a making a plan for that plant. Especially when it comes to things like trees and bushes, right. making a long-term plan for that plant. Don't don't just stick it in the ground and and just hope that it's going to work out because it won't. Um. Now I wanted to talk real quick. Well, we we're talking about homesteading. I wanted to talk about um, long-term planting. Now, a lot of people do annual crops. That's that's fine. That's great. You know, growing corn and growing uh, spinach and. And tomato plants and whatever it is that, that you want to do. But let's talk about growing some trees first. Um, getting a good base started. Because, you know, you can plant a bunch of apple trees and walnut trees and that sort of stuff. You're not going to be harvesting that, though. Yeah. Not in, not in year one. Not in year two. Yeah, it was uh, about three to five, plant. right, for apple trees with me. And I bought, you know, reasonable size. You know, I guess what you see at, right. like, Lowe's for 29 bucks or whatever. You know, I, I bought them from a garden center, and I bought ones that were native to you know my area, that kind of thing. But it still it took three, four years. And then I found out though that the squirrels right. were just getting me, man. Those little bastards would get up in there and just take everything I had. You know, they won't but, even wait for those things to be ripe. They'll just run off with them. No, little dickheads. You know, squirrels that eat apples though are delicious. Hmm. Apple flavored squirrel, huh? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now that that's definitely you know something to think about is uh, you know planting the trees early. Also, think about like a berry patch. Think about you know strawberries, raspberries. These things you know they take time to get established and to start really producing a yield. But having all this stuff in the long term is really going to benefit you. And honestly. It's not a bad place to be spending your money when you're worried about inflation and you're like, gee, I'm going to have all this cash that's, you know, not really worth anything. I may as well invest it in something. That's maybe the trick right there, you know. Right, right. Um, well, let's let's talk about about trees real quick and then then move on to some some bushes. So, yeah. you know, some good trees to grow are are nut trees uh, like pecan, black walnut, um almond, chestnut, it's really going to depend on where you live, which trees are going to grow best. But when it comes to nut trees, that's more of a long-term right. uh, scenario. You're not going to get those nuts uh, raining down in your in your backyard overnight. That's going to take some time. Uh, some fruit, fruit trees usually are a little bit better. They grow a little bit faster and start producing a little bit faster. I would expect with with most fruit trees to not get a great harvest before six years. You know that's that's about what you're gonna what you're gonna want before you're really getting a good you know a good harvest out of any of those trees. You know apple trees are great. Um, I grow apple trees. I know Chuck, you've done a few apple I trees. Um, cherry trees are another good one. Um, that's that's also you know it's kind of a long term 
thing, though, before you really start getting some cherries out of it. Um, pear trees are great. Peach trees are great. Uh, there's a million different trees you can grow that are fruits. One thing you really want to be conscientious of when you're growing fruit trees, though, is insects. Right. They love that stuff, man. Ants, um, beetles, just everything loves to get into those fruit and, and just tear them apart. Um, I personally am not a super organic person. You know, I'll, I'll spray the worst insecticide you can find on the market and, and just hose that whole thing down. You know, I'll rinse those apple trees off when I'm, before I eat them, or those apples off before I eat them. But it's, you know, right. those things are going to really go after your fruits and you really want to, you can get, um, organic pesticides that, that don't work. And if that's what you're into, you can do that. That's fine. Um, but me, you know, it's chemical warfare in my backyard during the spring. You know, it's just, it's just nonstop all the time. Um, it is what it is. Maybe I'll get cancer when I'm, when I'm 65. We'll see what happens. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it works out. Exactly. Uh, nut trees are not as, as bad with the insects. Um, but you're definitely going to have a a squirrel problem. And, you know, maybe a squirrel problem is not really a problem. Maybe you just eat squirrel eat more squirrel you know exactly that's not, yeah it's not a terrible situation to be in um but yeah i mean when it comes to trees and it comes to long-term planning like that you have to be conscientious of your area your soil and the uh the the pests that you're gonna have to deal with uh, another problem uh or another thing that that we, when we talk about long-term planning is bushes right um berry bushes mostly uh, Chuck, what are your favorite? What are your favorite uh, long-term plants for for berries? I had to say, I kind of go back to the basics. Um, I'm not a fan of strawberries. Uh, they just they seem like a lot of work. Uh, I don't know. Once they're going, I agree they do kind of spread and do their thing. But I feel like little bastards are always getting them from me. That's what I mean. Um, I feel like I, I know in New York, I actually built cages that I put around them and I'd have to go out and put these cages you know they were just chicken wire boxes that I would set on top of the strawberry patch because anything I didn't guard with my life they you know the animals came and took um and and that's kind of with any berries and grapes I, I have that with a lot of things but right um you need to um to go in uh I I would say blackberry raspberry I like uh, I like blueberries. I, I think the bunch of those I, I do really well. The raspberries seem to actually last, and you get the fruit. I know the birds come in and pick at them, but they seem to have enough of a harvest that you can actually get in on it. Right. You know, but yeah, I've actually had a lot of luck with strawberries. Yeah. this past couple of years. No, yeah, you're cool. Just really propagating them and spreading them, and I've got a good little plot that's just uh, just strawberries, and you know you have to look under the leaves and go through it a little bit but you can usually get a you know i don't know maybe 10 or 20 a day during the during the you know real harvest time which is you know it's not bad right um you know i i have i have raspberries and blackberries i don't you know my my blueberry bushes just uh it seemed to seem to just not do anything not great i plant them and you know years and years and and things will come by and tear the plants up and I don't know, maybe they get too much sun, maybe they don't get, I mean, they're out in the sun, so they probably, you know, it's either enough sun or too much, but I don't know what my problem is with blueberries, just not, just not doing well with the blueberries. Right. So I'm going to have to do a little bit more research and and figure out what I got wrong. Right. I I know we planted some blueberry bushes and they just did miserable and we wrote them out, wrote it out for about two years and they didn't die, but they just never really thrived, you know? Kind of like mm-hmm. what you're saying, and we scooped yeah. them up and moved them to another area of the yard, and the next year they were awesome. You know, it just needed yeah. the right location. Um, I don't know if the soil, the sunlight, you know, what the change was, but you know, we made some changes and it really paid off. So that's something to consider. Um, another thing for your your long term, you know, planning ahead early, it would be uh, asparagus. Yes, yes. I'm a fan of asparagus. I've been growing asparagus for years and years now. Um, now, it is one of those things where you've got, if you're starting from seed, you've got 
maybe two, three years before you can actually harvest some good asparagus. Um, but it is, it is w worth the wet wait. Uh, asparagus is a great vegetable, a versatile vegetable. It's like uh, it's packed with uh, nutritional value. Like there's good stuff in there, man, and it's good fiber. You're gonna have some nice like uh, meaty meaty turds. It's great. It's great <laughs> stuff. It's gonna change your piece uh, a little bit. That's nothing wrong with that. Now, did you know this? That th there's always jokes about asparagus pee, right? But there's only like sixty uh, percent of people can actually smell really? the smell that asparagus pee makes, right? That's unusual, unexpected. So is I, what I would say I don't ever smell any difference in my pee. But you know, I have to admit, when I'm peeing on other people, <laughs> they can tell that I've been eating asparagus. So I mean, it's you know, it's a thing. Okay, it's good a thing. To know. I don't have that asparagus pee gene. I guess it is what it is. You can't do anything about it. You know, you just got to work with the hand you're you're dealt. Um, let's talk about, uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms. Um, they sound scary. Yeah, now, I thought you always die when you eat mushrooms. Yeah. That's not the case? You do. You do. And, oh, okay. And when you, yeah, when you eat the wrong mushrooms, um, a lot of people, they won't tell you this in the books, you know? No. Mushrooms that'll poison you, you know, that'll kill you, there's a lot of them out there. And, and some of them look like the mushrooms that are edible, so it can be confusing. Yes. Um... But here's the thing. Almost every mu poisonous mushroom is also a psychedelic mushroom. So you're going to be tripping. While you're dying. And you're dying of, of you're just going to keep pooping and pooping until you're dead. Oh. You know what I mean? So it's it's one of those things that gives you diarrhea, but also you trip while you die, which seems like the worst way to go. You know what I mean? Pooping back and forth until you're dead. It's like, uh, I can't think of a worse way, but... Also having a bad trip on top of it, I don't know if that's that's what you want to deal with. But you can be confident in the mushrooms you plant yourself. And mushrooms are not the same as, as regular plants, obviously. Everybody knows that. They don't have seeds. No. You can't plant seeds in the ground and expect mushrooms to grow. That's not how it works. How does it work, Kevin? Um, well, you have to propagate it. They use spores. And mushrooms don't grow in dirt. They grow in... in different types of substrata. They, they like um, logs, wood, yep. oak logs specifically. Okay. Yep. Uh, you, can, you can get them growing in straw, uh, cardboard, uh, mulch, wood chips. Um, and, you know, if you go online, you can order uh, little plugs. And basically you take a quarter-inch quarter, uh, uh, quarter drill bit and drill a hole in an old uh, oak log. Okay. And you stick these plugs right in there. And they're going to start growing the mushrooms that you want. Different areas, obviously, the same as what we were talking about, grow different types of mushrooms. My area is great for shiitake, uh, morels, and, uh, you know, a few other, a few other uh, mushrooms. Oyster mushrooms are great here. Um, but you can, you can, and now I read about this, you can propagate the mushrooms you buy from the store. Really? I don't understand how that works. I don't get it. Um, if any of you guys are mushroom nerds, I would love to get some uh, emails about that and let me know how to figure this out because I can't yeah. do it. I know um, there's lots of kits and things they sell online that you know the hippies right, do to get and started. get started. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure the information's out there if that's some way you know you want to get going. But yeah, now Chuck, you're yes. you're a fan of mushrooms, aren't you? I, I eat. I'm mushrooms. not a fan. I don't like mushrooms. I don't like I, them one I, I've bit. been known to order mushroom pizza. I know you're thinking, well, why would yeah. you not get meat? I, I understand. I like meat, too. I'm just saying mushrooms are nice. I also like onion and garlic. So, you know, who knows? Um, a couple things I wanted to note before we get too far away. Um, a typical garden for a family of five, if you want to be self-sufficient, you want to plan like 100 to 150 uh, feet. You know, 100 by 150 Square, you know, so whatever that square, is. Right. Not square feet, square but feet. yeah, 100 by 150 garden. 100, 100 so, by, yeah. yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So whatever the math is, you can multiply those two and come up with square feet. What's that, 10,000? Something, 15? 1,500? 15, 15, yep, sounds about yeah, right. Something like, or 15,000, sorry, squeeze. Is that right? That sounds like a lot, but yeah. Whatever, you do the math. 100 times 150. Math is hard today, right? I haven't had enough coffee and, and it's rough. All right, orchard. Um, 
Apple trees, peach trees, cherry trees, plum trees, grapes, raspberries, strawberries, blackberries, blueberries, asparagus, and rhubarb. These are the things you want to start, you know, getting established and growing up. Um, typically, they say for a family of five, you should plant probably five apple trees, three pear trees, five peach trees, three cherry trees, two plum trees, 10 grapevines, and believe it or not, like 50 raspberry bushes, 100 strawberries. So, you know, it takes a little bit if you want to be totally, you know, self-sufficient where you're living off the grant, the land. Um, so that's something, you know, to look at. Obviously you have preferences of what you like, what you don't like. I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I know my, uh, local hardware store, uh, at the end of the season, they, well, they sell plants all year long. They ended up, they put online, Hey, we're giving out free plants. And I'm just saying, you may want to watch for the sales at the end of the greenhouses and things like that. At the end of the season, they might, you know, have things half off or whatever to, you know, get a reduced price. I know in our case, they actually said, hey, all the plants are free. And we went down there and they were like, no, we're serious. Just take them and whatever. So I got like, you know, five or six grapevines. I got six or seven raspberry plants. I got tons of collards and all kinds of, you know, southern things that people get. And it's just awesome. But I'm just saying, you know, this is the time to kind of look for those deals. Also, the fall is a great time to plant trees. I know those of you up in the north, you've already kind of missed your planting uh, window yeah, on there. That's it. That window's that closed. Window's closed. <laughs> in the south, you could still drop in, you know, a lot of those fall plants. Um, we just did the garlic not that long ago. Um, that's typically something you would plant in the fall. Um, but you know, something to be aware of. Another thing think about when you're doing a homestead is fencing. Um, you know, having, I believe it or not, one of the things that really sold me on my property was it had shit. It had 14 acres completely fenced. And then it was even broken up inside of that, you know, where I have like four acres up front fenced off. And then I have like a small, like half acre front yard that's fenced off and it makes it easy with the dogs where I can be like, Hey, hang out in the front yard. Hey, hang out in, I, I say the middle backyard or the way back, you know, and that's, you know, different things. But I still, even with that had to do tons of fence for deer and different things for the gardens as we go and, and rabbits, um, rabbit fencing is a pain in the butt to keep those rabbits out. It is, I, I had to dig a trench, you know, around each thing and, and bury the fencing. I know in New York, I was always fighting with the groundhogs and I'm digging trenches and, and burying chicken wire and different things. Turns out you don't want to bury the chicken wire because, well, one, if you hit it with the weed whacker, as soon as it starts to get a little rusty, it just cuts right through and the rabbits, basically you get about two years out of it and then the rabbits are walking right through it. You know, anything that's right at that ground level. Um, but uh, and now I actually buy, I think it says rabbit fence, but it's like your regular welded wire fence and that's held up a lot better. Um, something to look at. Not exactly cheap, but you know, I did it. I ended up actually doing like cattle fence for the whole big thing to have, you know, for high for deer. And then I did the rabbit in addition to that on the outside to, you know, go down deep. And that did actually stop the critters. Um, as far as the deer, I still, I, I did the cattle fence that was like four feet, but then I did posts with, I ran electric wire for another three rows up. Now, I actually don't have it electrified, but that ended up being enough to stop the deer from jumping in because they're jumping into a wire and, you know, you get the idea. Um, I, I had plans that I would electrify it if it became an issue. It never did. So that kind of worked out for me and I didn't have to mess with it. Um, I like the idea of barbed wire, but my wife is like, I'm not pulling animals out of it. You know, well, they're whatever. Well, you're at work. So that's something to think about. Fencing. Um Think about a barn, you know, outbuildings. Uh, basically, 
there's a couple outbuildings that you want on a property. Um, you know, a garage is very nice. Garage or barn or both would be ideal, but you know, usually you can work with one or the other. A tool house, um, a workroom, and then animal houses, a poultry house or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, something for rabbits, that kind of thing. Uh, so I know my house, we, we had a barn and it actually had an old farmhouse that I use as kind of a workshop and a workroom. Um, I, this ended up being pretty big. I mean, that, it's funny because the house is a little on the smaller end of what I would have wanted, but because it came with the old farmhouse, I was able to put my gunsmith shop, you know, over in that house. Um, my wife has a giant room where she puts together flower bouquets and, and things like that. Um, and we use it for storage, that kind of stuff. Then we have the barn yeah, and, I know and you that were, kind of thing. Go ahead. I remember uh, talking to you about that when you first got that. Did you get a uh, water hooked up there? I know you were having some issues with some sinks. Was that right? What was the so situation So it's still, I, I ended up having to put a new faucet in the sink. Um, it It is only cold water and I have, uh, the drain is kind of lousy. Uh, they basically had it, you know, what is it, a... Um, I don't know where they throw the like 55 gallon drum in the ground and that's your septic kind of thing for, oh, for the it? sink. Okay. And even that, I, yeah, yeah. I think it basically it works, clogged but... up and, and drained very slow. So I need to revisit that. Um, it does drain, but questionably, uh, you know, who knows? I'll get there, but either way. Yeah, no, I mean, it takes time on that sort of yeah, stuff, but it. I mean, it's good that he actually have, uh, have water coming in, so that's a, that's a big plus yeah. for that. Yeah, for those outbuildings, you know, electricity and water is a, is huge when it comes to those outbuildings. You don't you don't think about it as much, but it's nice to be able to uh, turn the lights on in your tool shed so you can see what you're exactly. looking for. Exactly, and even if you know if the building's way out, then solar is maybe the option. Um, I, I know we set up. I have three gardens going. Uh, I think two are fifty by like seventy five. And then I have a large one that's like 200 by 100. Um, the one that's 200 by 100 is kind of far out where I had to uh, I had to um, run water to it. And otherwise the wife was just dragging uh, hoses, you know, all across the yard all the time and whatever. So that was, you know, another thing. I had to buy like a subsoiler to dig a trench and... And that, you know, paid off and whatever. And now I have, you know, a spigot that's out there. And, of course, you get ones that, you know, shut off under the frost line. And so you can, you know, leave it out all year and have water there all the time. That's kind of cool because your season might go longer than, you know, when you're hitting the nights that are 30 degrees or whatever. Um, this year we finally built a greenhouse. That's something you may want to look into and add. Um, yeah, and, you know... Those greenhouses, a lot of people, um, you know, you can spend thousands of dollars building, yes. you know, building a greenhouse or having somebody build a greenhouse, but you can also put one up uh, for for a couple hundred bucks at most with some plastic sheathing and uh, some PVC pipe. So, I mean, yeah, I yeah, go I, ahead. I put together a greenhouse, uh, the one we did. We used pallets for the base and. We used cattle panel to make an arch across the top. Um, I actually put together a YouTube video. I haven't thrown it up yet. I'll, I'll get it out there in the next week or two, and that way uh, you guys can check it out. But bottom line, it still ended up costing me about 350 bucks all in. Um, I had to buy a screen door for the front to get in and out some and they're like 70 bucks anymore things are you know not as cheap as they were you used to be able to buy your 19 dollar screen door that that's not really a thing anymore um usually there are you know windows on the side of the road and that kind of thing you know people always buy the reclaimed windows and and i see them around here for 15 20 dollars but you got to drive 20 30 miles to go find one you know where they are or whatever i I ended up spending a hundred bucks on a window and maybe that wasn't the best move for money wise, but I wanted something that you could, 
you know, hit a latch and open it right up and it opens and it has a screen and it's easy and it works. So between those two things, um, I didn't find plastic sheathing or sheeting as uh, thick as I wanted to locally. Um, that's something you got to plan ahead really and, and order. Um, I bought it at Lowe's. I ended up getting four mil, which is, it's, it's still not that thin. But it's not going to last years and years. Um, but with the 4 mil, I was able to get, I think, 20 foot by 100 foot. Or it might even been 200 feet for 68 bucks. But bottom line, I kind of did the math and it looked like I could actually put it on there three different times. So, you know, I can kind of get ripped to shreds. I can do it three different times and it cost me 68 bucks. Um there wasn't a cheaper option that I could get the entire roof covered in one, you know, piece. Because I needed the width to be the 20 feet. If I did the 10 feet or whatever the other choice was, it wasn't going to give me the width. And it would have had overlap and I was just worried about it leaking and whatever. So I was like, you know what, if I buy the thinner, I can do it a couple times. And, you know, who cares if I have to re-plastic it, which I'd say took two hours at most. If I have to do that every couple of years, so what? You know, who cares? Um, I mean, it's not ideal, but, you know, I don't want more work, but you can only spend so much money, you know, that and so much time. Um, and then the cattle panels were like 18 bucks three years ago. And now they're uh, like thirty-five bucks. You know that kind. Of, it, nothing's yeah, what real, you really went yeah. up in price. Nothing's what you yeah. remember it. You know. Um, all right. Another thing I would say is n your neighbors. Um, one of the things about a homestead, when you pick a property, either right when you buy your house, right when you move in, or maybe beforehand, you should check out the neighbors. Stop over and say, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm looking at buying this house here," and and, you know, wonder what you think and, and, you know, see if you can be a little friendly. Um, even if you're not hanging out and you're not social buddies, just having that connection is, you know, worth something. Getting to know your neighbors and connecting with them, having them as a real resource is worth something. Um, you know, it really, it, it can help. Uh, being able to borrow a tool. I know my neighbor, you know, one time I was at work came over and, and shot one of the big snakes and getting in the chicken coop for the wife because I'm out at work. Um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I, I know we had a mutual uh, fox problem with foxes getting in the chicken coops. And when I shot the fox, well, one, my neighbor came over, hey, I have all these trail cameras. I'd be happy, you know, for you to use them because it wasn't hunting season. He's like, you can put them around the yard and we can get all these pictures and it'll be great. Help me with that. I was able to, you know, really cut down the amount of time I needed to be sitting out waiting for a fox. And I was able to, you know, get them a lot quicker than, you know, I would have otherwise because I had networked with my neighbor. And then when I shot him, he's like, hey, can I have the fox fur? I want to, you know, set, you know, put it together for my kid and make it nice. And that was but bottom line, you build up those relationships. Hey, I have a leaf blower. Hey, I have a tiller on my tractor. I can come over and help you. Hey, I have, you know, these different things that you can help each other out. And that that's worth something. That has real value. And that community, when times and things get more desperate, that's going to be, you know, that's going to pay off. Um, being close with people is only going to be a benefit as opposed to a negative doesn't mean you should show them everything you got, but you should build up those relationships and be kind, be helpful. Um, extra land is always, you know, a nice. Uh, is it somewhere where the taxes and things like that are going to be, you know, better where you can actually stay there long term? That's always one of the things, all the properties I've moved to over the years, you're a lot of times afraid to invest um, in time, effort, money into the property. Cause you're like, yeah, I don't know that I want to stay here. It's not my forever home. You know, I'm not going to be here all the time and that kind of thing. So 
how about you pick a property that is your forever home, that is going to be where you want to kind of ride out things, or at least have a plan, you know, say, hey, we're going to do the farm until we're 65 or whatever, and we don't want to do it anymore. Then we're going to sell it and go somewhere else. But know what you're getting into and choose the place that's going to be right. So that's, you know, that's something to think about. I don't know. What else, Kevin? What else would you want on the homestead? Yeah, well, one thing that uh, one thing that would be ideal, but not, you know, it's not always uh, possible, is to uh, set up a, a part of your property that's going to be inviting to uh, animals for harvest. Yes. Um, uh, deer, <clears throat> you know, deer, deer uh, basically all over the United States, you can find, find white-tailed deer. Um, yes. Certain places have, have better things to hunt, elk and things like that. Um, rabbits are great. They're all over the place. Um, squirrels, all over the place. Um, but uh, deer, deer love things like, um, they love clover. You know, yes. if you can if you can plant a, a, a crop of clover or alfalfa out um, in the yard, stuff that you're not planning on harvesting, um, things that you know maybe maybe close to your house, maybe you are in your bathroom taking a dump and you see a deer, you know, walking through your backyard and you want to get him real quick. I don't know, whatever whatever works out for you. But uh, people people deal with seasons uh for hunting and things like that uh one thing that i think about is uh, a lot of people talk about you know if things go south things get bad they're gonna start hunting yeah that's not gonna be the case you know you're gonna have have two or three months uh seasons aren't gonna matter to people that are hungry Mm -hmm. um and if you have a million people out there that don't know what they're doing you know some of them are going to get lucky. Enough of them are going to going to get lucky that you're not going to be able to find those eight point eight pointers that you were hunting last year. Yeah, um, you, you're gonna you're gonna have a hard time finding. You know, they said the the white-tailed deer population decreased by eighty percent during the Great Depression. Wow, that's you know that's the kind of thing you're you're going to be dealing with. Um, it's it's a great great idea to have a place where where deer are accustomed to coming to. Right. Uh, a big clover patch is great for that. Um, uh, Acorn trees. Rabbits. Yeah, there's a lot of things right. out there that, you know, you can really rabbits, bring them in. Rabbits, things like that that you're going to want to bring into the property. Um, you might want to plan a section of your property, if you have enough space, dedicated to, to uh, encouraging wildlife. And, you know, it's just some, something to think about, something to keep in the back of your mind. But, um, you know, also, you know, also maybe spend some time and, and invest in, in researching, you know, what some of these animals will do. Now, we talk about gardening and these sorts of things. You also might want to think about setting up a food forest. Yes. Uh, someplace, someplace where you can harvest, uh, harvest food where you can just you know you can forage basically yeah. you're foraging in a in a place that's designed for foraging, and we talked about apple trees, we talked about nut trees and and uh, fruit bushes and things like that. Those are things that are going to provide for you without you having to take care of them constantly, and you can set up you know grapevines are the same way. You can set up uh, spaces in your property that are uh, where the plants are working a symbiotic way. Right. Where they they work with one another, you know. Maybe your grapevine is growing up your your apple trees. Um, maybe your your bushes are you know protected from the wind and the elements by by your trees. Uh, you should think about doing that sort of stuff as you're designing your property. You should think about you know what what things that you can harvest in. You know, maybe it'll take five or ten years to do this, but what things can you harvest? year after year without having to break your back, you know, digging up the, the yard every year. Right. Things, um, things that are going to produce for you without you having to, uh, you know, kill yourself every year, year after year, you know, uh, tilling the soil and planting the seeds and these, those sorts of things. The ideal homestead is one that you can harvest the food without having to work your ass off every single day. 
Now, on an acre of land, that's not that's not really going to work out. But when you get up into the areas of 10 acres, 15 acres, 100 acres, you might be able to really uh, design a property that's going to be self-sustaining right. without, without, you know, hours and hours of manual labor. And when you're working with a farm, that's what you're dealing with. Um, you know, we talk about fencing, and if you can get the fencing up, you know, just right and get everything fenced in the right way, uh, that's great. And if you have certain areas that aren't fenced in, where the deer, the rabbits, the turkeys are going to come through your property, you know, that's also, you know, that's also, there's also value in that. Right. Well, I know my fence that goes around the whole property apparently doesn't slow down the deer. Um, they, they don't think twice. Uh, every now and again, I have to go out and do a little fence mending to, you know, find out where the, the animals are getting through. I know that the fox has no problem coming in and out of my fence, even though I uh, I worked pretty hard to, to keep that from happening. Um, you know, they, no, nothing assholes. is uh, is exactly foolproof, but uh, we can always work towards better. You know, that's what it is. And that's the thing. The more you do, the more you can, you know, kind of spread it out. Um, other things to look at, maybe solar, uh, bringing in some, some off-grid power, finding a way to work that out. Um, ensuring that you have a way to get water if the power's out, or at least alternative power to get your water. Um, that's something mm-hmm. you, you want to plan ahead for. Um, sh- you know, Maybe a rain catchment system, setting up something like that. Um, Think about location and layout, where you can put things to, uh, you know, just have convenience. You don't want to be running back for a tool, you know, a million miles away all the time. Um, I, I found, I I don't know, I just buy more tools. <laughs> so I have tools in the barn. I have tools in right. the house. I have tools, you know, because it just, there's certain things you do all the time that, right. you know, um, also building up a supply of farming tools. Um, I just went to tractor supply and basically the, the, the pitchfork that we use for digging was $29 three years ago, $39 last year, and it's $59 this year. And I'm like, damn, Holy yeah, shit. exactly. For a pitchfork. Yeah, the size of a, a small spade shovel. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. And that that's insane. And, you know, we're breaking up the dirt with it and whatever. It's that, like, four-prong spade thing, whatever the hell it is. I I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. What you call it. But, you know, a digging fork or something they call it. I I don't know. Anyway, bottom line, things are going up. So having tools on hand, you know, it's funny because they say it's not that things are going up. It's that the value of the dollar is going down. Now, you know, that's kind of like looking at your glass half full or half empty. But, you know, it kind of, you know, that's the thing is the dollar really is losing value in the world. And, you know, another thing to kind of motivate you to get out and kind of set your property up more like a homestead is that the, uh, the, um, you want to, sorry, I'm distracted for a second. When you're setting up sorry. your homestead, yes. you, like from 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 scratch. Yeah, sorry. When you're setting up your homestead, you may want to. Uh, sorry, I had something going on in my headphones there, and it threw me for a second. So, anyway, but you want to make sure that uh, realize that we are in America is importing twice as much food as it produces every year now. That's crazy when you think about that. That we're a chief importer. We're the highest importer of any country in the world of food right now. And we're going in the wrong direction. And being able to set up your property and do that, you know, for yourself will make the difference. You know, when you can take care of your own, you're not dependent on the government. You're not dependent on your neighbors. You're not dependent on a handout. It's that's your job as a provider for your family is to take care of things and handle business and having the food and the things under your control 
that's when, you know, you're prepared. That's when you can sustain things. And, you know, it's always great to have a food supply and, and do the prepping like we talk about. And you never know when injury or, you know, some kind of plight on your crops or something or something comes in and eats all your chickens. You know, when something goes off, it's good to have a backup and be prepared. But it turns out having a garden is a backup to the natural systems that are already in place. So it really is about being prepared. And I would say make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Maybe leave comments and uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you download it. Uh, we have a great um, email list that we send out things as they come up. And I know there's a lot of Black Friday sales coming up. And I, I've been trying to put out the deals that I find so I can keep you guys you know, in the good gear for cheap. Um, if you want to get on that email list, it's uh, preppingbadass.com. There's a link to sign up right over there. And, you know, you guys have show ideas, topics, things you want to hear about, things you want to tell Kevin he's wrong about. You can email us at preppingbadass at gmail.com. Otherwise, I would say stay safe and we will talk to you guys next week. The Survival and Basic Badass Podcast is a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.